There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. Welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast. I'm your host, Angela McHouston of Music Strong, joined by my co-host. I am Dr. Jen Cabasmay of Tuned and Tone Performance. And today we're joined by a special guest. Do- oh, she's working on her doctorate. She's not a doctor yet. Is that right? Not Most yet. Okay. Like one year away. <laughs> Almost <Yes>. doctor. <laughs> to become Dr. Anna Dathari? No, I said that wrong. No, Sorry. it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was all like, excited to pronounce it the hungry way and I ruined it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anna's going to be talking to us today about uh, focal dystonia, continuing on our conversation we had with Mark Wallace. And um, Anna, can you just introduce ourselves? Or, yeah, introduce ourselves. Introduce you, yourself. <laughs> Definitely. Also, how to pronounce your name and uh, what you're what you're working on with your doctorate and your story, basically. Yeah, so it's pronounced the daddy, but generally, you know, I, I study in the UK and I'm sort of just used to everyone pronouncing it as daddy, and it's much easier for everyone, so I really don't mind it. Okay. So I'm a flutist. I have my MA from the List Academy uh, in Budapest, and. Um, I got focal dystonia in 2010 in my embouchure and I completely lost my ability to, to produce a sound. Like it was completely gone and it happened over the course of a week. So huge mm. contemporary solo recital one week, next week, not able to produce a single note on the flute after 16 years of practice and two degrees, a bachelor and a master degree. So that happened in 2010 and it took me four full years to recover, mostly by myself. So I after like two years of like depression, clinical depression, and just like forcing everything, I sort of figured out what to do with myself. So another two years, I recovered fully and went back to my mostly soloist career. So I did a lot of uh, solo recitals, mostly working contemporary and small chamber stuff. And uh, once I started talking about my story, um, there was a flute blog in Hungary and they interviewed me about one of my concerts. And I started talking about the problem and how I overcame it. And I started receiving like tons of emails, calls from people. And some people I knew and I had no idea that they were struggling with focal dystonia. Like, how did you do it? So basically what I ended up doing is like I sat down with with each each of them and I started like to sort of like translate my methods, what I did myself to their specific thing. And it slowly started to become sort of like a coaching business. But at that point, it's like I really need to know more. I need to have like a scientific background. I, I can't just rely on my own experience because it's one singular experience. How do I know what works, what doesn't work? So I ended up doing a second master's, which is a master in science at the Royal College of Music, uh, which is performance science. So it's like performance psychology. And I did that master's and then went straight on to my PhD, which I'm currently doing and hopefully finishing in a year at the University of York. And my topic, as always, is musicians' vocal dystonia. And what I do in my PhD, I'm not a neurologist. 
I'm not a psychologist, I'm a musician with personal experience. So what I really try to decipher is all the environmental factors, behavioral factors, like practice, uh, that sort of thing, and uh, personality traits, psychology, um, that sort of thing in relation to the condition, which hopefully going to inform treatment strategies, but also um, uh, preventative strategies as well. So that's what I'm doing for my PhD. And I'm also still coaching musicians for the past seven years with like increased knowledge. And I did a lot of external stuff like somatic uh, approaches, methods, learned anatomy a lot. Uh, and from my own studies, like I just piercing stuff together, which seems to be useful. I go do a course, I learn about this and learn about that and try to like include that in my own coaching sessions and therapy and try to help musicians with the condition. So that's basically it. That's my elevator speech. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that is super awesome. Um, I, I have a, a couple questions that I'd like to just kind of unpack if you're if you're okay with it. Um, but the the biggest one for me right now is I know you say you're coaching people. Um, what does that look like for you? Because I know you specialize in dystonia. Is it are you doing movement experiments uh, like like somatic type work when we're talking about Alexander technique where you're just physical play? Is it more um, lifestyle coaching, mental coaching? What's I would it? say it's a mixture of, of physical movement in connection with the instrument, but there is also quite a lot of mental coaching. And what I work a lot with is the quality of the movement, because once you start to have focal dystonia, there is, mm -hmm. and even before, years before, I'm quite convinced, there is a sort of hesitation yeah. in the movement due to all sorts of fears and perfectionism, Am I going to do this right? Am I not going to do this right? And there is this constant holding back tension. And then I want to play that note, but I'm not sure it's going to be okay. So there is this constant hesitation and tension associated with the condition. So what I do a lot in my, in my coaching is try to work with the quality of the movement, even if it's the simplest movement, like touching the yeah. instrument. And many people yeah. with focal dystonia have, in fact, problems with even getting close to the instrument. So very often we we start like way off the instrument. We start with like only having a mouthpiece and touching it to their chin or like, or cheeks or the top of their heads just to teach the nervous system that it is okay to be in touch with the instrument because very often when you, you know, go through the, the whole thing, your whole nervous system freaks out by the mm -hmm. prospect of playing. So you try to yeah. pick the flute up, you all do all the habitual movements, you have the posture, these give all feedback to your nervous system telling that it's, it's going, playing is going to happen. And there are lots of negative emotions, fears, self-hate in that, yeah. in that mix. And it all kicks in. So trying to find certain smooth and small movements, which don't trigger the symptoms, very much synchronized with the breath, synchronized with very smooth and non-hesitant movements. And then when we have like this little, you know, collection of movement patterns, which can be always performed, which the people can always do, not worry about, then we can start building it towards actually playing instruments. Mm -hmm. I hope that answered the question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, it makes um, perfect sense. I mean, I've got, uh, I, I know, Angela, you took dynamic integration too. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that method, Anna. Um, it's uh, it's a German method, um, but it's it's effectively taking concepts from Alexander Technique with the Feldenkrais base, um, and it utilizes a lot more physical feedback. Not a ton, but that's the basis for it. Um, 
just Reader's Digest version. It's more complex than that, but we'll leave it alone. Yeah, but, of course. Of course. yeah um, the way I, I really approach this is that, like, yeah. when you play the instrument, there are all sorts of different feedback running mm -hmm. to your nervous system. It's right. like the sensory, the motor, the breathing, if you're a player, but even if you're not, the posture, how your body is positioned, and all that feedback runs into your brain and collects itself yeah. in the center playing the instrument and presses that big button in your brain, play the instrument. So if you dissect these all sorts of elements and try to address them one by one, like being able yeah. to, to get that sensory feeling on your yeah. lips or in your fingers without having any reaction or being able to move your fingers away from the instrument in a similar way, like if you'd move them on the instrument and clean right. that, sort of clean that up from the symptom, teaching the nervous system that that's, I can do this, that's perfectly fine. I can do it here, I can do it here, here teaching the nervous system at space and then slowly building those building blocks together, going towards the full, you know, experience of taking the instrument that offline. I think we have a little bit of feedback coming from your microphone. Um, uh, just FYI. I don't know if it's if it's close by, if you've managed to hit it or something, but it sounds like a wave. That was really interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me this time. It wasn't me. <laughs> So, but, but before we get too far into this, yeah. because it's really fascinating, just to, because we just jumped right into it. And to anybody who doesn't know, can you give a quick rundown of what is focal dystonia? So, so people think, mm. oh, I have this, and maybe they don't. But what, what, how would you describe what it is? Oh, hold on one sec. We can't, we can't hear you. I'm gonna, and in fact, this is a perfect time for us to take a break and take a break for one of our sponsors. And we will be right back with Anna Dithari. Hey there. My name is Dr. Garrett Hope. I am a composer, coach, podcaster, and speaker. I've been focused on building my music business since 2014 and helping others build theirs since 2015. I want to tell you about the second annual Ultimate Music Business Summit we are organizing. It'll take place early January of 2022. There will be dozens of presentations with highly actionable content, all of it available to you so you can start your business, grow your business, and ultimately make more money. Because here's the deal. Unless you earn all of your income from an employer, you are a self-employed small business owner. And if you want to do more than survive, if you want to grow your audience, or if you want to impact more people, you have to think and act like a business owner. And that means this summit is for you. This summit will give you real world, not theoretical strategies you can implement immediately. You don't need to be stuck with fear or living in your failures. I promise you, with all the teachers lined up, you will get something you've never thought of before. Even though building a business is hard, no one is promising it's easy. It is possible. You just need the right tools and strategies. Tickets for this virtual event will go on sale soon. To be the first in line and to get more information about the summit, presenters, and more, go to musicsummit.biz. That's musicsummit.biz and add your email to the list. And we are back and we're talking to Anna about what is focal dystonia? So uh, musicians focal dystonia is a task specific neurological movement disorder. So let me just like <laughs> untangle that for a bit. So when we say task specific, it means that the symptoms appear only when doing the specific movement pattern, which is the triggering movement pattern. Of course, there are exceptions. Some people start to experience the symptoms away from the instrument as well. And basically what happens is that 
um, you do your familiar movements when you're playing the instrument and it feels that your body sort of like just forgets how to do it. Certain movement patterns just go off, but it happens in the brain. So it's not a muscular thing. It's not a physical thing. The control system of your brain suddenly starts sending the wrong signals. So what might happen, you might have spasms, tremors, weakness, extreme weakness in certain muscles. So they're being super unresponsive to, to the, the signals you try to run from the brain. So after generally happens to professionally trained and like very high level classical musicians happens a little bit in jazz as well, but mostly classical musicians. And then the experience is you sort of like pick up your instrument and you suddenly your body starts to do weird stuff like it forgot how to play. It can happen in the fingers, in the arms, uh, for guitarists, pianists, uh, all sorts of like wind players. Can also happen in the facial structure around the embouchure, in the tongue, and all sorts of like facial muscles. Neck can be also be included, but it can also happen in the shoulder for like uh, string players. I even uh, worked with someone who is a trombone player having dystonia in their shoulder. Uh, and also in the foot for organ players or people playing in drum kits. So it can manifest in all sorts of different ways. Basically, the experience that you're losing the fine motor control over a, a movement which you practice for a long time into second nature. So it's kind of a very weird experience. And musicians' dystonia is only like one member of a huge family of task specific dystonia. So you can have a similar condition in like different kinds of sports, table yeah. tennis. The yips in in golf or cricket or dart it is when playing the dart gymnastics, gymnastics mm -hmm. lost movement syndrome, the twisties. Mm -hmm. uh, the original, like the the scientific name for that, is the lost movement syndrome. And then we, yeah. and we actually like just witnessed one example of that in the Olympic yeah. Games, and mm -hmm. it like stirred quite a lot of conversation around the topic. Mm -hmm. But also writing the writer's cramp, it's probably the most known version of dystonia. But as we move on and then certain tasks are not really done that much anymore, we have new ones coming in, like computer mouse related finger dystonia, for example. Mm -hmm. So there are all sorts of different things, but musicians are the most, most vulnerable. And if you look at the statistics, musicians are the ones who get it most, basically. Is that because of the nature of what we do recruits so much flying motor skill? Yes, that's partially that. So basically any, any fine motor skill, which is a small fine motor movement practiced repeatedly and then performed under stress. Mm. So if you put these things together, there are certain things which are like more fall into this category and playing classical music is definitely one of them. And classical music even more than any other type because everything is prescribed. You can't just go in and you know in a Mozart symphony that oh I'm just going to start like half a beat later I'm going to play G sharp instead of G because I feel like it you have to be on time you have to be in the right dynamics you have to start everything is prescribed for us so with jazz and other types of music folk music you have a little bit more legroom leeway that if you don't feel comfortable playing something you can play something else that's not considered a failure but in classical music it is so. So maybe that's why this hyper-focused, very specific task and huge amounts of stress, obviously, associated with it. Yeah. So you mentioned it's a lot of it's under stress. <clears throat> that's that other component. Yes. That, stress that can cause this. Yeah. Stress is a and, component. 
And I would like to venture too, um, because I, I have a foot in the jazz in the jazz door also. Um, I, I observationally, because I don't want to get in trouble for making a statement that's, <laughs> but observationally, experientially, um, I feel like classical musicians are also more prone to it because of the personality variance between, like there's there's a divergence in personality. Jazzers have a very specific type of personality um even if they are like the super high performers where it's like this is happening at this time especially contemporary jazzers you know um but it's they're typically not the same version of high strung <laughs> that a lot of classical musicians are um and i say this is somebody who gets high strung quite frequently um it's just it's just a little bit different even if they are very task focused um that's that's just my experiential yeah, yeah. seasoning. <laughs> you can basically say like why yeah. does someone go towards jazz and why does someone go towards more like classical? So right at the beginning yeah. it can be like what is your taste? What what fits yeah. you personally better? So that's also like a selection. Um yeah. Yeah. I would I wager that some of the these personal traits are also mm -hmm. infused by the environment. So you end up with a lot of classical musicians are a little bit like more rigid and more that kind of thinking. Yeah. It's going to have a huge influence on how you develop, especially when you yeah. start doing this whole thing, taking it seriously from high school ages, very mm -hmm. vulnerable age, everything mm -hmm. changes. Or you end up with a you know, bunch of jazz musicians and your teacher is also super cool and they don't that's going to that social effect is also going to have a huge impact on how you develop your personality. So it's also mm -hmm. like partially which direction you go towards to and yeah. also like the impact yeah. of that social environment can have yep. yeah teachers yeah. and peers yeah yeah so we're we're getting into like a lot of these psychosomatic things basically is what we're what we're talking about here um i want to backtrack and and i apologize if i'm derailing things i'm just like as we're talking i'm like well if i was an outsider listening you know what would i what would i want to talk about what I, what would i want to ask um and i know that for me at the time when i was injured and didn't know it was wrong um i looked into all sorts of things you know i had my diagnoses but when you have an injury for so long and you're being diagnosed with one thing but it's not getting any better you start questioning the diagnosis. Um, so if I were back then listening to this podcast now, I think my question would be, well, you talked about things like the tremors, like anxiety, like seizing, or um, just problems with um, approaching the instrument even. Um, but I did not have dystonia. I had um, some overuse issue, a lot of overuse issues, um, but just a lot of muscular imbalances. It still meant that by the time I was at the height of my injury, you know, I couldn't hold my right arm. I'm a clarinetist. I couldn't hold my right arm in playing position without it shaking violently. Um, but like, if, if you're listening and you're wondering like, well, do I have dystonia or do I have to know? If you have dystonia, you're going to know. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um you can have the same symptoms, but like what you're talking about with the lack of control on a neurological level where your body just is doing weird things versus I can do this still, but it really hurts. Yes, absolutely. And then we also have to say that dystonia is also like a spectrum disorder. So it can go to extremely severe, like mm -hmm. with me, I just 
my face just forgot how to play. It's <laughs> just like gone. In the space but, of a week. Yeah, in the space of a wow. week. Uh, it can happen. It happens actually much more with embouchure because with your fingers, you are much more used to do all sorts of different tasks. So if something doesn't quite work out, you have sorts of ways to do compensatory movements and still make it happen. But with your face, you have all these small muscles in your face, and then you don't really, you're not really conscious how you're using your vaccinator, your like, you know, oral in these muscles. And one goes, you don't really have that reach into the system that, okay, if it doesn't work this way, I'm going to work it that way. So that's why I think that amateur is much more vulnerable to a much quicker onset, type of onset. And with finger, you can literally play years because you sort of figure out, okay, if I can't do it this way, I'm just going to do it that way. So with that, but uh, answering the question. So yeah, it's a spectrum disorder. So it can be quite subtle as well like literally not being able to control one finger or control one specific range for example your face is just so stuck in one position that you can't access your low range but you can still play up in the high range or you can't access your tonguing but you can still play legato so there are all sorts of different variations but my advice in general would be if you suspect that this is going on do and go check it out with a neurologist because there are other things you can have like an early onset parkinson's you can have um like what a brain tumor even you can have i I wrote with someone who had a small tumor on their jaw and it pressed on a nerve and it produced dystonia like symptoms it's very important to check out all these things because you don't want to start working on your musician's focal dystonia if you have another much bigger underlying issue you want to get that checked out do not self-diagnose yes (laughs) self-research but always 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 get an opinion yeah it's always better even though a neurologist probably going to reach for the needle and try to give you borderline toxin injections which in my opinion doesn't work at all um but it's still like being able to rule out other much more serious conditions it's quite an important step on on this road so I want to backtrack a little bit. When you were talking about the different areas of the body that can have focal dystonia, I have a, a former client that has developed it. She's a guitarist, and she's going to be listening to this, so I know she, she, she's got all these questions, so I'm going to try to ask them to you, because she's got a type of dystonia that I, I, I wondered when I first started working with her if, if this was what it was, because it kind of sounded like it, but it also sounded like an imbalance, and it sounded like a like a cross between muscle imbalance and dystonia at the same time. And if you look at the posture of how she plays, she's very much like this when she plays. It's not pretty. (laughs) She'll tell you that. And what she found out of is she has dystonia in her neck back here, which I had never heard of. She had never heard of, and nobody else seems to have ever heard of. So she's not getting a whole lot of help. All she's doing right now, she said, She's getting some Botox injections as just a try. And she's, I asked her the other day, how's it going? And she said, I don't know that it's helping the focal dystonia, but the pain is gone. And I feel like I have a whole new neck. I can move like I couldn't move before. So that, that's a small victory for her, but it doesn't fix the problem. Um, and Mark was going to talk about that. And he, he didn't, he, he didn't want to go down that way. Um, you know, like find, find what are the options for you? Because what, what works for somebody might not work with somebody else. And like she said, it's not helping the neurological part, but 
it is giving her more freedom of movement that she didn't have before. But now she's like, will I ever, she had to cancel everything. She cannot, she doesn't have a job right now. She can't play her guitar at all. And I don't know, I don't remember if it was pain or just, she can't, she can't play, nothing happens. I mean, I've never heard of having dystonia in the neck. Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause we've talked about, you know, fingers in the fine motor places, but these bigger areas, what, what kind of happens in those areas when that happens? It can, it can happen. And first, let me start with saying that there, I never seen a musician's vocal dystonia client who didn't have muscle imbalance and didn't have horrible posture. So I never seen anyone who had, you know, a very nice posture and a very nice, you know, broke out body and like balanced muscles and all and have dystonia on top. It nearly never happens. Like I still you know, waiting to come across someone. And I do a lot of postural work in my sessions as well for multiple reasons, which I might go down that road, but not right now. I'm first going to try to answer your question. Um, I did work with, um, with an oboist who had, she said she had embouchure dystonia. Basically what happened, she couldn't even place a read on her lip because her neck was going crazy when she was approaching. And then we did a lot of like breathing exercises stuff and then be very conscious of the posture and then did a very similar work of just keeping an eye on how her neck reacted in the presence of the instrument when lifting the arms when all sorts of different things. But we have to make a differentiation between task specific and non-task specific dystonia here. Because you can have the symptoms all the time. You can have focal dystonia. And I, I know that this term is like very loosely used around musicians' focal dystonia. Musicians' focal dystonia is a task focal dystonia. But you can have focal dystonia. They're the symptoms of present all the time, 24-7. And that's a whole different area. It's a whole different thing. And most of the stuff I'm doing is really reacting to the symptom in relation to the instrument, like calming down the symptom in relation to the instrument. When a symptom is always present, that's a whole different thing. And I generally don't like to, to work with people like that. I generally like try to send them to people. Um, there is one person in Canada, Joachim Farias, who works with, um, works with focal musicians of dystonia, but she, he also works with um, all sorts of types of dystonia as well. So that might be something to look into. Can you spell his name for us? Because the, the transcript went nuts with that name. <laughs> Farias, like uh, F-A-R-I-A-S. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he's a pianist with a DMA, but he's been working with musicians. He started working with musicians and he just sort of expanded his, his repertoire. And he also has an online platform where he offers all sorts of like exercise courses starting from like dancing to martial arts exercises mm -hmm. to to support people with all types of dystonia like um yeah like bigger bigger muscle dystonias as well so it might be something to work i personally don't dare to work with that because my whole retraining strategy is that you have a problem your body your nervous system has a problem with the with the instrument with playing the instrument and associate stress and emotions and fears and your body reacts to the instrument. But if your body's like sort of reacting all the time, I don't dare to touch that at all. Yeah. And there there are like you like you said earlier, there are so many different types of dystonia, task specific versus non too. And and one that I I don't know why. Something is just telling me to actually put it out there. Um but 
I have heard that one that is not, it, it's common, but it's not frequently discussed per se in athletics is runner's dystonia in the foot. And that's considered a task specific one. Um, so I can see that being something that like maybe even dancers would have and would have to work around and maybe not even necessarily know. Um, although they're on their feet so much, I bet they do. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, like I said. There are actually articles published about ballet dancers with dystonia and I heard about uh, tap dance dystonia as well. I haven't seen any scientific research on that, but I've seen papers on flamenco and uh, ballet. Oh. Yeah. Our research in performing arts disorders is, is really just, I mean, it's been going on for at least 50 years, but it's really just it's starting to enough. take off just starting to take off for all intents and purposes in a mainstream way. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Angela. Yeah, I'm going to backtrack. I totally <laughs> forgot what I was going to say. Just go for it. Okay. Um, sorry. That's my cat. He has opinions. Um, <laughs> it's very loud and very special. So he is and I'm a doll. special one. Um, <laughs> oh, um, so I wanted to, if he will let me backtrack to, um, the onset of your dystonia, if you're comfortable talking about that. I know you said it happened within a week. Um, looking back, because I know probably in the moment it felt like it was just gone, but looking back, would you say that there were indicators that if you were looking at yourself now, like from this perspective, looking at your younger version um, were there indicators that you would have gone, oh, this is going to become a problem very soon? Not in a, a, a modern way, not in my ambassador, but mentally and like stress-wise, that was years in the making. I mean, I, from high school, I was my, I was the little prodigy. And when I started playing the flute, uh, I was a pianist first from like five years old. And I picked up the flute when I was like nine or 10 and just like went like that. Like, you know, competition, this, blah, and specialized high school. And then we have these specialized high schools in Hungary where everything's built in the schedule, like from music theory to music history to flute lesson, everything is like built in your normal like classes in the morning. And then you have one teacher and you rely on that one teacher. And I was unlucky enough to have an absolutely horrible teacher for four years. And that's like super vulnerable phase, like 14. And by the time I exited that school, I had a lot of problem in my jaw, plucking and lots of pain and tension in my face during those years. At one point, I was like third year, I lost like the, the last like five notes. I couldn't produce them under D because I was so, I had so much tension in my face. I just like that but it was all like mental tension and then I you know I went on I got a better teacher I got a bit more relaxed but that kind of like perfectionism high level anxiety all the time um, super high performance anxiety and also like personal things going on very severe like personal things going on in my, my family life in my personal life and then there were a couple of things happening like not right before the onset which was just extremely upsetting so i would say looking back that i was like on the verge of a clinical depression for like a year before my onset i just kept going because you keep going because you you know i was you know invited to play concerts i went and they play concerts so 
on a mental level, definitely. Um, I wouldn't say that I experienced any particular thing around my embouchure the year before the onset pillow. Looking back, I did have quite a lot of like, what is going on here? How shall I do it? Focused this way, that way, problems around my embouchure before, like years before. So I think all of these things just added up. So it, it, I really feel that the overwhelm just like comes, 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 and then you have the last drop and the whole thing breaks. But I'm pretty much convinced that this is for everyone. This is years and years and years of stress and experiences and traumas. And very often people do report all sorts of traumas or major changes in their lives prior to the dystonia, like death of a close relative or change of homes or accident or even physical injury. And then they have a physical injury and just keep going on. Uh, so it's that breaking point, but it's definitely years and years of years of maladaptive practice and mental difficulties for sure. Yeah. So going on, the, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And that, that aligns really well with what Mark was telling us from his personal experience. And he's, he's a very perfectionistic type. Um, his personality is very perfectionistic, very type A, very like obsessive. He's got in you know, some OCD kind of things he'll tell you about. And um, that makes perfect sense. I mean, he just puts a lot of pressure on himself. And then he had another teacher that put that pressure on him as well. So that's, that's making a whole lot of sense that way you're talking about this, that it's, it's also starting from, from mental as well. And that, that stress response. So it's, that's fascinating. I mean, that's something we haven't, we haven't really heard about, you know, like how the physical and the, the mental are coming together to produce something like this. That's um, like you, you basically have a certain kind of mindset like my in my thesis i'm actually questioning where that mindset's coming from because part of your mindset also comes from the environment and then your upbringing and how your teacher behaves towards you because you learn so much more from a, a teacher in a professional like education than just playing you learn how to treat yourself you learn how to practice you learn how to think about your own art think about your own expression your own creativity you learn all these things you pick them up and then and then you have this kind of mindset and that basically prompts you to do certain behaviors which might not be uh, very healthy and then things are not working out because of anxiety and then you start to sleep less and you start to you know not take care of yourself because everything is just a practice and then something comes and it breaks the back of the camel just like the last straw so it's definitely a very if, if we just change this perspective because currently it's looked at from a very very strict neurological perspective looking at uh, genes and brain scans and things like that. But the brain is plastic. So everything we do, the way we practice, the way we think, it's going to make changes to your nervous system. It's going to change how it's wired. So we can't just say that something is just neurological or yeah. just psychological or just this or just that. These all intertwine. And if you really want to understand how it starts, and how to treat it and how to stop it from happening to new generations of musicians, you really have to have this very holistic approach and look at all these puzzle pieces because they all need to be in, in, in place yeah. if you end up with focal dystonia. Yeah, and, and even if you don't, um, because I like I said, mine was um, overuse and just really bad. It was overuse paired with bad overall body use. Um, and I, but it wasn't dystonia. I could still play. It just, it really hurt. And then there was a point where my body just gave out and it was, it was 
physical give out, but I know we've talked about this in a previous podcast, Angela, but um, that concept of if the body doesn't, the body knows something is wrong. Mind knows something is wrong. Subconscious, something is wrong. And if it can't, if you can't feel it, it's going to try to find a way to tell you. Yeah. And it's going to manifest it in whatever way gets your attention most. And if it starts somewhere, because that's where you feel physically something going on most easily. So for me, it was right here because I didn't, felt my hands just fine, but like all this locked up, you know, (laughs) Um, but it took, you know, it had to work its way up and be like, no, 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 something's wrong. Something is really wrong. And how much has to go wrong physically before I get your attention? Mm -hmm. But I would say looking back, you know, it was diagnosed as a physical issue, physical issue. Well, yeah, but. I was also one of the tallest kids in my class growing up. I was super introverted, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was doing dance since I was three, but again, being one of the tallest girls out there in a ballet class, you're very aware of how tall you are. You're put in the back, you know, because you're, you're so tall that the, the, the itty bitties need to go up front to be seen. <laughs> Logically, you understand this, but as one of the bigger girls, and especially because then I got broader and, and a little heavier too, you know, like this, yeah. like, don't look at me, don't look at me, I fit in. And then being an empathetic soul too, I just, everybody being shorter, I tend to, I find myself drawing down to where they are so I can be with them. And I noticed it first when I was hanging out with my super tall friends, like all of a sudden I'm like, you know, we're walking around somewhere or whatever. And I'm like, why does my back hurt so bad right now? And I'm like, because I am stretched to my tallest because my friend is six foot four and I'm only five, seven. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I really just have a natural disposition to try to meet people where they are. Being taller was a disadvantage because I was already like this. But that's a psychological thing, you know, like lack of confidence, all of that, all that. It just, they work together. Definitely have an impact on like what is up in in our minds. Yeah. Like with me, I was a little chuffy girl when I was three. It was like a little extra fat, you know, like this puberty thing. And I was desperate just to suck my tummy in all the time. And that obviously created like a, whole different like I changed the way my I held my pelvis Mm -hmm. and I became this like kind of like pushing my butt out too much and overarching my lumbar spine because Mm -hmm. like trying to hide my tummy which I thought it was big now I you know look back and like watch pictures and like girl come on but yeah like that conscious like try to hide myself it's very similar but also I'm afraid I'm not sure I can do this I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pull in, I still need mm-hmm. to be there, but if I have, you know, something threatening, someone is, you know, going to tell me that I'm not talented enough, I'm going to make a right. mistake, I'm going to tell me off, I'm going to hide, try to hide myself, it's just so normal from yeah. the brain and body to work together, like they try to protect you, and obviously going to end up with a horrible posture, yeah. the same I just like really want to do this right and this is the other thing I see with everyone's like meeting the instrument there's like yeah. flutes are just so mm-hmm. horrible at this right they go like and they're like oh yeah. out here and they wonder why their necks and back, back hurts and then why this whole because it has a huge impact on how this whole like, jaw thing works mm-hmm. everything forward and now pull and move mm-hmm. 
your undershirt. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I see that too. And I'm a, I'm a flute player and, and that's, and when I teach, it's like, no, 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 you bring the instrument to you. You don't go to meet it, bring it to you. I've got one kid right now. That's just, I'm only teaching two. So that's, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I transitioned out of teaching um, middle school and high school. And now I only teach um, college level, which is a nice break, but this one child, Oh, we've talked about it. I've taken her picture and been like, do you see this? She goes, oh, yeah, this is not okay. So we have to work on this because she yeah. punches and then, because your neck can only extend so far. I'm like, bring it to you. And then she does. And we're talking about, you know, dangling from the ceiling and feeling tall and light and all these things. And then she gets into it and she's back hunching, you know, like, yeah. you know, a troll again. And it's just, yeah. And I, I want to be able to tell her, how do I, I mean, if it doesn't hurt yet, how do you, how do you make that connection of this could be really bad? Yeah, it's going to hurt her in like, like 10 years time. And it's by the time it's such a strong habit that it's super hard to, 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 to take yeah. care. I see a lot of amateur dystonia sufferers with that kind of posture and that kind of habit. And then sometimes I, I, I have to go extend them down the ground. And then they do their exercises lying down when you have yeah. feedback floor and mm -hmm. they feel when they move their head and just like mm -hmm. touching the, the head joint to their face and yeah. like doing exercises while being on the ground because it's yeah. such a strong thing going yeah. on that the only thing which helps is just a feedback because their proprioception, yeah. proprioception is just way off they mm -hmm. can't tell where their bodies are in space so it's yeah it's very very interesting that's a great, yeah. that's a great idea because she also has that perfectionistic, I practice seven hours a day mentality. And I'm like, no, ma'am, stop. <laughs> you know? You're only allowed to practice for, she's like, well, I got to warm up for an hour before our lessons. I'm like, no, no, you don't. No, 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 no. There's warm up. What do you have to warm up? We're going to a lesson. You're not performing for the, so, but she's just got this, you know, this is very, it's, we're talking about the personality again. And it's not like yeah. I wouldn't need to break her of her personality. That's not what I'm what I mean but there's a no, way but, that you can you know shape and mold that personality into something good instead of going down the opposite yeah right. for them and for their playing and yeah yeah and, and so much of that in in my experience again is is coming from just a lack of self-trust mm -hmm. you know and it's like but, but again that goes back to we tend to want to separate out physical work from psychological work. I'm like, you, you can't, you can't, which is, you know, my um, physical training classes, my, my coaching group, um, we operate out of commercial gym. And when I started at this particular gym, um, a lot of the guys who are just there to lift, you know, they're doing their own thing. They're doing like hard, heavy metal stuff, you know, um, they're looking at us like we're nuts. Because it, it looks weird. You know, I'm like, we start every session, you're going to lie on the floor and you're going to feel your low abs. And that's it. And it's very gentle and it's very slow, but we're, that's what we're going to do. Because if you cannot use your low abs to extend yourself upwards and outwards and create a very wide base, forget putting any sort of weight on your back. You're going to hurt yourself. I'm not doing that. You know? And so like, they're looking at me like I'm nuts and now we're... Um, oh, how long have I been there? I think we're just shy of six months and they're starting to go, oh, not my clients, the people observing. 
oh, she's crazy and her stuff is weird, but her people are moving some weights. I'm like, because they can feel their bodies. They can feel their bodies, not their bodies can do the thing, you know? The low rep, like the transcendent abdominis, it's Mm -hmm. important that the timing is right. So it needs to turn on before you do anything. Yeah. it's not like they, they're not turning it on, they're turning it on late. So a whole other like muscles start to jump in to take over that load because it's, oh, we are not safe. Right. And just like feeling it, that like being able to turn that on, that like mm-hmm. force muscle, the transversus is like, okay, yeah. on, now I can lift my arm and hold my instrument and maybe I can exactly. hold it straight without having a pain, like here and there and there and there. Yeah. Yeah. I can trust the base part of myself and if we're going to get super woo woo here the um the base of the um chakra system if we will which i love if you don't like it i'm sorry but i love it it's it's super applicable i'm not a, i'm not apologizing for it, but you know, but if you well, trust the base of like your system systems have different ways to describe similar experiences and whether we yeah. call it chakra or we call it pelvic floor or we call it this and that it's just different ways of explaining your way and experience with that vocabulary, which was, yes. you know, on the during that time period. So, yeah. right. So is there no like right and wrong? Like there are no chakras. Like this is, this, this is something they experienced and described in a way everyone around them understood. And then right. why use it? So I'm just, uh, right. Right. I mean, we use all sorts of in our in our instrumental teaching, we use all sorts of things that we know are physiologically not perfect, right. but they get the correct result. I'm like, why are we not doing that with physical stuff? It's OK. <laughs> Maybe not all the time, but, you know, it's OK. You know. And, you know, like we, we were talking about this with Mike the other day, you know, words have power. And, and when you say things out loud, don't you sometimes feel that in certain areas of your body? I mean, I was doing some work with him the other day and he said, where do you feel that? And like, that feels like something like a band around my head or that feels like here, you know, you can't tell me the chakras thing is not a thing. You know, I remember there was a, there was a time where I was going through some stuff with my now ex-husband and I felt it, it was the literally craziest thing. I lost my voice. Literally, I couldn't speak. It, it, I don't know. I, it didn't hurt, but I couldn't speak. And my uh, counselor at the time was like, do you feel like you don't have a voice? That metaphor is manifesting physically. So, I mean, there is, there is definitely a, what's the word? These things are not separate. Yeah. It's psychosomatic or not even, not even psychosomatic because that implies a physical manifestation of a psychological issue and not that the two are working together. We need a new word. Anna, do you have a new word? The body works together (laughs) mentally and physically and emotionally. When it comes to dystonia, people are generally like super sensitive when you like pronounce the word psychological because it's been treated as hysteria until like the 1970s. Have the narrative behind it that it's your fault. And yeah. to be honest, most people with focal dystonia do feel that it's their fault. They, they blaming themselves in their head already. So they don't need another source from the outside telling them it's their fault. And then when they actually started detecting the different like changes in the brain areas from like the 1970s, 80s, 90s going on, it was a relief for many sufferers because they could say, oh, it's not my fault. My, like this is happening. My brain is doing here. But like what I'm trying to do with this is that basically your 
thinking patterns, your emotions, your reactions to your external world, how you move your body, they all have an impact on your system. Does it make it your fault? No, no. it's not. And like being psychological and even heard like one of the leading scientists on the field, uh, Professor Eckhart Altemüller, talking on the PAMA conference, the Performing Arts Medicine Conference at Alcohol the Estonian just like two months ago, calling it psych psychosomatic. Oh no. Oh no, she froze. Hold on. Anna, hold on, you froze. You froze and you lost your statement. No! Darn no! technology! Am I back now? You're, You're back. back now. You okay. were talking about the, um, he used the word psychosomatic. psychosomatic. In his... Yeah, and, then... and that, yeah, that, 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 if someone, the Estonian listens to this, it can be extremely hurtful because they put their own narrative behind it. Psychosomatic, psychological means it's And that's the distinction where we have to make that just because there are psychological elements included in this mix, mm -hmm. that doesn't make it anyone's fault. Because many people think about, oh, I should have practiced differently. I should have done stuff differently. I should have paid it. But you couldn't. You did the best what you could at that any given moment. You did. You acted based on the best information which is available for you. It's not like you didn't. You tried to do your best. So it's not your fault. The information, the environment wasn't ideal. It matched up with your genes and everything which happened to you. This is the result. Question is, what are the things we can now do about it? And part of that journey is definitely like thinking about psychological issues, thinking about the perfectionism, thinking about the anxiety, all sorts of different things. How can I, I get my system to release some of that to be able to work with the symptom itself? Because it's mm. so overwhelming. Just a, yeah. and of course the trauma of losing your, your ability to, to control your body, that's huge as well. So resolving that is also a huge part of this picture so so yeah. when we say like all these like kind of psychological psychosomatic i just really want all everyone who listens to this to understand that just try to that from that narrative that it's my fault it's it's nobody's fault really yeah thank you thank you for mentioning that because that's i i did not i know neither of us meant anything involving blame or anything like that when we're talking about this um, which is part of why i was wanting a different word for it um and i know sometimes for me like i'm having a hard time a little bit going back to working with baby beginners which i just started um it was like one of those shock moments where it's like okay we're just going to do a mini session and the response i'm like oh they have zero foundation <laughs> I need to reset my brain because I've been working with people who have a foundation and now they don't, you know? And so for me, it's like when we're talking about this, um, I've done enough work in it that of course, personally, I have removed fault from issue. But I, yeah, that is, thank you for bringing that up because if you're listening, we, there is no fault if you're dealing with this. Um, oh my gosh. Musicians, so many times we blame ourselves for injury, which is silly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the history of the condition and how it was narrated and how people, what people were told when they went to neurologists, like all of that issues around it. So it's like very heavy with that history as well in, in, in focal dystonia. So yeah. 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 And injury is the same. It's like, I, I've met musicians blaming themselves for tendonitis or. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, as I, we, I we did talked to Veronica. Yeah. And you said that. <laughs> she said that. She's like, oh, I should have known better than to get injured. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Just, what? I mean, that statement, I should have known better than to get injured. Why are you putting that blame on yourself? Yeah. That, I mean, when you, when you put it out there with, in regards to anything other than musicians, it sounds ludicrous, but musicians say this to ourselves all the time. Oh, I should have known better. How, how, how should you have known better? Why should you have known better? Also, why is that your fault? It, <laughs> there's so many other things at play here. Hello. Yeah. And then it comes to education and there are quite a few programs starting about musicians' health and then you would, you know, with all these concerns and all this research being done in the past 40, 50 years, in the UK we have this healthy conservatories network doing, you know, research and master classes and all sorts of different things. And I remember when I moved to the UK, having done my master's back in the list I could be. I graduated in 2007 and then came to the UK and I started hearing all about this like mental health and you know healthy bodies and alexander technique lessons for free at the rock project music i was like what <laughs> what and first you know you first like oh we want to take care of your mental health I was like oh, i'm not crazy <laughs> but like the whole different narrative like you have to take care of yourself in all sorts of different ways oh. it was not a concept i met while i so. I think we got the gist of that, but your your computer so froze again. <laughs> just... Zoom is fighting us this week really hard. <laughs> the, the internet is needs to go home. It's drunk. So um, <laughs> uh, okay. So before we go too far down that path, because we could spend all day, I think there. Um, I know more than likely, I'm going to guess the burning question is. How do you come out of focal dystonia? How do you get to where you can play again? I know this is not a simple answer, but people are looking for hope. They're like, I, I don't think I'll, it's been a death sentence for so many musicians for so long. We've been told if you have focal dystonia, you'll never play again. Learn to be a dentist or something. You know, maybe you should switch careers because you're never going to play again. And you're saying, yes, absolutely. You can come out of this. You are out of it. You help other people get out of it. How, what, what are some things that you can tell people how or what they can do? Yeah, so it's um, what I, I find through my own coaching that there are a couple of factors which play into this. How long have you had the dystonia and how old are you? Because if you're 60 and you have, have, you know, have had the dystonia for like 40 years, it's going to be much more difficult if then you're like 23 and you had it for like six months. So there are certain differences on this scale. Uh, I don't really want to say it's absolutely impossible for someone who's older or someone to have had it for a longer time. I just recently finished the sessions with a 71-year-old client with Embrasure Dystonia, and uh, and he he just like plays okay now. It's not he's not back to his like orchestra musician level, but he's happy and that he knows from this point on how to go on. So. So I'm not saying it's not possible, but there are different levels of severity. There are different levels of like, and with the, with the age, it's really just like how plastic your brain is, how like open are you to change, but also mentally, how much you can take in new concepts and try new things. So this is what I find. But having said that, so like that's again, a whole different spectrum. I, I tell everyone that the taking care of their mental state and headspace is extremely important. 
because you can't really start observing what your body is doing, the fine motor movements, creating exercises for yourself if you're an anxious mess. It's just not happening. Um, so I recommend everyone to get a good therapist or start meditating or do Tai Chi or do yoga or like use all sorts of different tools. There are so many amazing tools out there. General posture, general how they use their bodies, extremely important in many ways. I, I do a lot of postural work in my sessions. It's important not just because body mechanics and you have a better position to, to put yourself in when you're playing the instrument, but it also helps to break the habit as you approach the instrument. So if you spend a lot of time always, you know, opening the case, every musician does that. Like if, you, if you're in an orchestra, you know everyone's like opening call. Like you pick up the instrument, play a second octave C, chromatic scale down, a seventh chord up, and they always, that's the first thing they play. So we have this like ritual approaching playing and warming up and everything. So having partial corrections can also help with breaking that so you don't go down the same road over and over again. So I generally create a small new routine to people. So before we do anything on instrument or any exercise, playing, non-playing, we have a small ritual of checking posture, just very simple, just sitting on the sitting bones. If you're sitting, if you're standing, just like really feeling your ground aligning a little bit, like know where your pelvis is, just lengthening your neck a little bit, just a little bit of difference. And then we move on from there. So new routine. You can't pick up your instrument the exact same way you've been picking it up for the past 25 years and expect a different result. It's not going to happen. And then when it comes to the actual physical exercises, I think that the really important thing is that treat your body and your body's reactions like you'd be treating a child who's afraid of a monster under the bed. So if it gives you a reaction, there is a reason for it. If it freaks out, if it gives, comes back with you know, the trigger, the symptom or any bad feelings, you have to be patient and then do try to do less and try what is the thing you can still do. Because if you keep forcing, it's not going to come down. So you can't shatter the three-year-old. There are no monsters under the bat because it's going to freak out because you've had it on top of that fear. And we've just missed the very yeah. last thing you said. Yeah, cool. I, and now I, this time I spotted that you also froze, so. Good. <laughs> so you said you're, you're, you're going to, um, you said to be patient and do less because uh, no monsters under the bed because they're going to be freaking out. And we lost you. Yeah, exactly. So finding a set of movements no matter how small they are, which resemble playing the instrument. And keep doing that patiently and then put one toe over the line and see how much more I can do. And integrate that step or that movement into the comfort zone. If that's comfortable, I'm going to go on one more step. And I, I, I work a lot with, with the breath, especially with like, use a lot of like just conducting the breath observing the natural breath and do a lot of the work on the out breath because it's going to activate your parasympathetic nervous system your rest and digest so if something's scary like if i need to reach out and touch the instrument i'm going to tune into that breathing oh okay. <laughs> i'm going to 
that breathing and I'm going to use my out breath to do the tricky thing, putting my, my fingers on the key, uh, touching the instrument to my face. So just really observe and discover what are the things which I can always do. I'm still super comfortable with doing them and keep doing those. And it's kind of the opposite of the classical musician mindset. We are very, very problem focused. So we go like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just going to put the big red circle around that bit in the music. That's what I need to practice. So I, we go for the problem. But this is quite the opposite. We have to be comfortable with whatever we're doing and adjust the task to our comfort, which is super hard because who cares what I feel? I got the note right. Yeah. I don't care if I break my spine in half by doing it, but I got the note right. That's the general thinking so you really need to yeah. switch that and make sure that whatever you do is is comfortable and then you can yeah. keep for me it was literally just like sitting and just allowing a little wisp of air escaping between my lips i was like doing this i was going to teach i, I was teaching uh, at, um, like small kids that was the only thing i could still do because obviously my concerts were off sitting on the tram going there and just keep doing the same calm movement with the same intention, the same direction, synchronizing with the breath if you can. And then once it feels secure, simple and natural, and there are no hesitation in that movement, I can maybe get my head joint up to my face and do the same thing. And maybe on my chin and maybe on my lip and then one step at a time, but always observing how I feel because the moment my body reacts, it triggers the symptom. I need to take a step back. Yeah. So, so basically that's, that's the underlying idea. It's a long work. It's a long and very, it needs a lot of patience to, mm -hmm. to actually go through this process. But what I usually tell my clients that you want to pick up your instrument and, and you want that note to be there. By forcing your body and figuring out that, okay, if I do it this way and if I do it that way, it's going to work out. You're not going to reach that point. You won't be able to relax back from that amount of tension. You need to build the calm in order to get the calm. What you practice, what you get. So, yeah, so basically that's, that these, these are the main things. And again, take care of general posture, do yoga, do Alexander technique, do physical training, take care of your body, sleep. Your sleep yes. plays a huge, huge role in all this thing. Your brain puts information together while you're in sleep. It regenerates while you're in deep sleep. If you don't get that, it's like having the half of what you've been doing during the day. So you don't give that space to your brain to digest the information. Yeah. Yeah. So and one quick thing. Go ahead. So when you were talking about putting the, this is for amateur dystonia, like you're breaking the pattern by putting the, putting the, the head joint different places and doing different motions. What do you find for people who have, um, have it in their fingers? I'm thinking of a bass player I know. Every time he picks up the instrument, his fingers curl in like this. I would it, prefer the, oh, oh, hang on. Basically. Oh, we lost you. We lost you. We lost you right okay. after his fingers curl in. Right so at the beginning of your response. <laughs> Basically, you start the same way. Ask the question, what are the things you can still do without having the symptom? It might be that I'm going to turn that base 
I'm going to stand up in my playing posture, maybe correct my playing posture as I stand. And I'm going to turn that base and I'm going to place my fingers flat on the other side of the neck. My brain receives a different kind of feedback because it's not the strings. The base is the wrong way around. It doesn't make any sense for my brain to give a reaction, right? And I'm going to start with flat fingers. And then I can do like repetitions with flat fingers and then I try to do it on the strings. Flat fingers on the strings, not curling them. Other side, going. Once I'm com comfortable with the movement, I can stop curling them into the fist, touching it with a fist, and then start to find middle ground between completely flat and completely fist. Like touching a little bit more like this, like that, moving all the fingers together. Once I have that, that moment when the sensory thing, sensation, and me standing with the internet man today, I tell you what. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with the internet today, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that my Zoom always tells me that your internet connection is unstable after it happened. Of course. <laughs> it's, it's, of course. You know how that I'm back that it tells me that connection is unstable. So I don't know where you where you basically like heard me last, but once you get comfortable uh, with that movement. Once you get comfortable with that movement, you can start exploring middle ground on the other side of the neck first. Like Completely flat, completely fist. What if I curl like halfway? What if I curl a bit more? What if I curl completely? Like exploring what is the spot which is most comfortable and what is what's triggering. And then move between comfortable and slightly triggering, maybe synchronizing the whole thing with the breath. So whenever I'm touching at the beginning, I'm breathing out, I go like, that's my fingers. And then I can start working on individual fingers. So basically trying to find what still works, what, what are the things I can still do, and then start working with specifics. And with the movement, like with the actual movement, I would start working on something like a water bottle or a, a thick, thin book or something. Like seeing if function is still available in a different environment. Mm -hmm. Because if I can do it here, like moving my fingers separately, and I practice that and I make it comfortable, and I work on the sensory stuff on the other hand, on the base, then I can get those two building blocks at some point and build them together and move my fingers separately on the base. And I would definitely go with, first, don't even try to push down the strings. I never, I work with violinists, I work with cellists, double bass players. That's a huge thing because they generally have a lot of force pushing the string down. So first it's only sensory, it's only gently touching, just feeling that string under the finger. And then you can start expressing a little bit of force. But when you start, you know, retraining, you can't go all the way in the first. You always have to build every single aspect of that playing bit by bit and always monitor what is triggering, what is not. That's fascinating. Would you That's say that? It's, sorry. Would you would you uh, say that it's fair to? Is it fair to say that doing stuff like that is basically proving to yourself that you are capable? Yeah, and that's a yeah. huge. 
huge thing in building self-esteem mm-hmm. because basically that's a huge thing everyone struggles with when they got purple dystonia that yeah. i can't i can't i can't and if you give yourself a small task and you can and then you can do a little bit more the next day and a little bit more the next day that builds self-esteem you just yeah. have to trust the journey and sometimes it takes a lot of time to just to get used to that I can, and it, it doesn't feel like playing the instrument. I still right. remember I was like making like decent sound on like two octaves and I didn't feel like I'm, I was feeling that I'm just like playing a different instrument. And to this day, I remember when it clicked and that now it feels okay. Now it feels like, yeah, I'm home. I'm home now. Yeah. yeah. So just navigating through that tricky bit when, nothing is really there and just like go through the fog and trust that you're going to end up on the right spot basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So learn, learn to trust yourself, learn to take care of yourself. And Angela, this is something that um, in one of our upcoming podcasts with just the two of us, I want to talk about where it's, um, you know, we end up, unfortunately, a lot of the mindset for um, musicians is that we are servants of the music. And so it doesn't matter what happens to us because we're servants of the music, but nobody starts an instrument because they feel that way. You start because it's fun and it feels like part of you. And so the instrument is serving you. And the more you remove the you from the equation, we start running into problems. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then the individual creativity just goes out the window as yeah. well. And with that, the enjoyment actually. Wow. Yeah. 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 And if you haven't, I mean, again, with me not having had vocal dystonia, um, when I was in one of my dynamic integration classes, after I'd learned to become comfortable, more comfortable in my body, still, still working on that. That's permanent, permanent work. Um, but one day she just was like, if you want, you can open your case. If you want, if you don't leave it alone. Okay. And she's, you know, continuing to talk. And it took me, it took me a good five minutes to want to open my case, but I did. Because I knew like I wanted to, but there was something stopping me. I didn't know what it was. I'm like, well, we're finally comfortable enough. We're just going to sit with that discomfort until it passes, you know. Um, And then she was talking about if you want to, you can pull it out. You can, you know, just put your hands on it. You can whatever, put it together, play a note if you want. And I remember I ended up going just for my bottom joint of my clarinet. I had the whole, I had two clarinets in front of me. <laughs> I could have gone for any part of it. I went for the bottom joint and I'm right hand injured. That's bottom joint. And for whatever reason, I went for the bottom joint and she was talking about, you know, you can assemble it, you know, all that. And I'm like, I literally just sat there holding the bottom joint pretty much like, like this. I'm trying to get it on camera, you know, just loosely in my hand. And I was like, you know what? I actually really like the weight of the bottom joint in my hand, which is the weirdest thing to say out loud. (laughs) But it was one of those moments where it's like, I forgot that I liked that, you know? (laughs) And like, I forgot that my hand, again, not having dystonia, and I know it's worse with dystonia, but I forgot that my hand actually liked that feeling because it became like, well, this, my hand is the problem. My arm is the problem. And the, the, the instrument is perfect and it's all just me. And so then we just became afraid, yeah, you know? So if Definitely. you're out there listening, just try to pick up your instrument pieces slowly and see, see what you like. <laughs> Sometimes I get people like just sitting with their 
their drumsticks or their whatever comes up. But that reminded me, I actually had quite the opposite with one client. He was teaching uh, quite high level and he couldn't play at all. Very severe immature dystonia. But he was carrying his flute all the time to the lessons, to the class. And he would put it together and put it on the, on, on, on the piano. Like if you'd just like pick it up and, you know, show something. But he couldn't. But he, and I, the first step I, I told him that, leave the flute home. You can't play it. Why bring it here? Stop it. And that was, that was like a huge, like, because with musicians, like our identity is just so quick, like so intertwined with our ability to play that you need to make some space between those things. I am a person and I play the flute. Mm -hmm. I'm not a mm -hmm. flutist. I stopped saying that. I'm a person and I play the flute. And it's two different things. And very often it's very hard to let go that it needs to work exactly this way because I want it. And your body goes like, oh, no, no, it won't. So yes. you're... <laughs> The space you made that you left your planet alone and then you approached it again. That's exactly the process we, we, we kind of need sometimes just to let go of that expectation, let go of that fantasy and see what it is there. Like what is reality? Okay, reality is my my mouth does that. This is reality right now. It doesn't matter that I, you know, played Mozart Concerto like three months ago. This is my reality now and this is what I have to work with. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that's also a very very like crucial moment. But I really love this story. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that this is this is a it ties in really well with what we were talking to um, Mark about that when you go to approach your instrument, whether you're playing or not, whether you're teaching or not, being taught, having that sense of forgiveness and curiosity. And experimentation instead of rigid expectations is really important. Not mm -hmm. it's not just frou frou. Fun is important. Yeah. And as you're saying this, it's like it's important for getting out of dystonia too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Finding that part of you which still wants to play, that that child who first picked up the instrument because. It's so uprooted from us during like a uh, uh, professional education with mm -hmm. all the expectation, with all the perfectionism, with all the, no, if you don't win this competition at like 18, no one is going to remember you when you're 23. You have to, have to, have to do all these things and all these pressures. And then somehow we just like let go of that joy of, of playing. Yeah. It's very important to find our way back to it. Yeah. That is so good. So, so good. And I think, this might be a good place for us to stop if I, because <laughs> I think we could talk about this all day long. Yeah. Yeah. You have said some amazing things, Anna. Thank you so yeah. much for joining us. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of about five people I want to send this to immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was, this was an excellent, excellent chat. Um, yeah. I've got it's a lot of people I would like to listen to this too, who don't have dystonia. <laughs> you know? Like, but there was just so much good material here. So thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for the research you're doing. Yes. For the research and the coaching that you're doing for and with people. And um, we're going to put the name of uh, the, the person in Canada that you mentioned, Faris. Yes. Um, put his information in the show notes. But 
Uh, is there anything else that you'd like us, if, if there's anything else you'd like us to, to include, please let us know. But how can people find you or get in touch with you or, or help you or anything? I do have a website, which you can also put in the show notes. It's very simply musiciansdystonia.com. Uh, um, and there is a lot of information. I upload my scientific findings. So there are like a couple of like scientific paper-like things, a little bit simplified summaries of published scientific papers if someone wants to look at it um and i also have a blog with personal opinions so like i try to have like two different batches of stuff because what i think and what i teach is not always which is already scientifically proven so i just keep those things here and uh yeah you can contact me through the website and i'm taking coaching clients all the time i generally try to find space for everyone so yeah, uh, so the website is musiciansfortalbistonia.com um, and yeah, so please do get in touch if you have any questions, anyone who's listening to it and uh, or you want to have a session or just, you know, just have a chat or share problems or anything because I really want to, you know, there is this saying that be the one you needed when you were younger. Mm, I literally yeah. have one supporting me through these four years and i don't want anyone to go through that because it was it was really difficult so if there is just like something i can do from someone else sitting you know being desperate giving a piece of information a piece of encouragement I, i'd love to do that so yeah absolutely we'll put all of that in the show notes and um you guys, please get in touch with Anna. She's obviously, you can tell she's a wonderful yeah. person with a wealth of knowledge <laughs> that is ready to help. So you do not have to feel like you are alone or that this is a death sentence and your career is over because it's probably not true. So mm -hmm. thank you again for joining us. This has been a marvelous chat and uh, thank you again. Yep. Thank you so much. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. And see everybody next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>